Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Podcast. This audio is brought to you by Canon Press. Before we get started, I wanted to remind you of the Christian Heritage Series at Canon Press. One book in particular that I wanted to draw your attention to is Charles Spurgeon's Lectures to My Students. Spurgeon was an English Baptist minister famous as the Prince of Preachers. He was one of those rare theologians who lived a life of sacrifice while also enjoying good food and a fine cigar. The center of Spurgeon's ministry was preaching the gospel and changing hearts. And these lectures for aspiring pastors never forgets the center of the ministry, love for Christ and love for lost. Get Charles Spurgeon's unabridged lectures to my students, volumes one through three at canonpress.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is Doug Wilson, and the podcast number is, believe it or not, 163. If you've been with us from the beginning, that means you've listened to this 163 times, or you're about to, or you're about to have. I'm recording this a, a week or so after having come back from uh, Franklin, Tennessee, uh, having spoken at the Fight, Laugh, Feast conference. As many of you know, there's a, um, there's a show, Cross Politic, that operates here out of out of Moscow. And this last year, they decided that they were going to start holding an annual conference. And uh, they held their first one. And the Fight, Laugh, Feast Club has a subscription membership. And there are people who support CrossPolitik by subscribing, and they get behind-the-scenes content. And then uh, the main content is put out uh, free for everybody. And so they, they uh, decided that they were going to have their first conference and they had it in Tennessee and they they put it in a place where subscribers could get to easily people who are supporting them already they could drive there or whatever so there were 900 it was north of 900 people and that was closed it would have been more had uh, the the conference had to be moved from uh Nashville uh to Franklin uh because of a masking order that came down uh in Nashville and so they had they had to change venues sort of at the last minute, and because of the venue limitations, they couldn't take more than they did. I just saw that they've announced uh, the time and place for next year again in Nashville, and uh, they're uh, looking for a venue. They're, they've got a venue that will accommodate up to two thousand people. Now I go I go to conferences. I've been to a number of conferences. I've been to big conferences and I've been to little conferences. And um, speaking bluntly between us girls. For uh, some guys in North Idaho to host a conference uh, across the country and have it crest 900 attendees the first year is sort of uh, mind-boggling. It was, uh, it was a good group of uh, speakers. A number of people were there. David Bonson was there. Gary DeMar was there. Rod Martin was there. Um, Jeff Durbin was there. It was a good lineup of speakers and a lot of regular Christians, regular folks who have plainly had it up to the gills with how the Christian church currently is responding to the challenges that we face. Uh, it's just amazing that uh, we are being threatened by so much and 
the um, responses of our certified leadership, I'm almost uh, maybe, shall I say, kennel fed uh, leadership, has been just really anemic. And the, the title of this conference, Fight, Laugh, Feast, says it all. Uh, we want to fight, but not like thugs. We want to fight like warriors, not like thugs. We want to laugh because we're not, we're not fighting because we love violence. We're fighting, uh, I think it's Chesterton. If Chesterton didn't say this, it's, he should have. That a warrior fights not because of what he hates in front of him, but because of what he loves behind him. So a warrior fights because he's defending something. He is standing for something. So um, it's possible to go into battle with, uh, with laughter, with shouts of joy. And then, because God gives victory, God gives the right kind of victory, this is all attended with the feast after, whether it's the Lord's Supper or whether it's the wedding supper of the Lamb. Basically, I would encourage you to check this out. Check out the show, Cross Politic. Check out the conference. This conference is coming up uh, again next year. I, I hope to be there next year. I've been invited, and we'll see if it works out. I think it will. I hope to be there. And um, this is, for those of you who are listening to this from around the country, this is one of the more important points of resistance. Also, I should mention uh, in the previous podcast, I mentioned that Gay Branch uh, was one of the ones arrested at our psalm sing. Well, Gabe Branch is one of the three hosts of the Cross Politics show. Now, also, I should say, <laughs> we had like 300 people at that psalm sing. And out of all the people that they could have gone and cited, they, one of the first people they came up to is Gabe Branch. And the end result of it was him getting arrested. And the end result of that was a lot of outrage all over the country. And the, the crowning end result of that was someone tweeted about it and uh, President Trump uh, retweeted it. So that's the very first time any of our psalm sings have gotten to the level of a presidential retweet. I mean, that's quite an honor, don't you think? So, Hamartiology. This is uh, Plodcast, episode 163. Hamartiology, in our walk through the Hamartiology library, we now come to the word Bebelao. Now, Bebelas was what we did last time, and there's a related meaning. This is a verb, bebelao. Remember that hamartiology is our study of Greek words in the New Testament that refer to sin in various ways. With this one, with bebelao, we have only two instances of such profanation, the word means profane, of such profanation that are not really profanation. And this, I, I need to explain this. If they had been, they would be, if you follow my reasoning. This will become clear as we go on. So, to profane something really is a sin, but the use of the word doesn't necessarily mean that the sin was actually committed. If someone falsely accuses you of murder, if the accusation is false, the murder is still a sin. All right, so, the first use in Scripture is found in a place where Jesus points out that our duties under biblical law sometimes conflict. David had a duty to keep himself alive, and he also had a duty not to eat the showbread. Jesus taught that he chose correctly. When he, when he took the showbread, he chose correctly. And he continues with the same point. The Lord continues with the same point when he says this, Matthew 12, 5. Or have ye not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? So there are two things going on here. The Sabbath really is profaned. And yet Jesus says the people doing it are blameless. Jesus says here, in effect, that the priests who are working on the Sabbath are profaning the Sabbath 
but because they are fulfilling their higher duties in, in temple worship, that means that they're blameless. So you have two laws of God that come into conflict. You have the Sabbath law, that God requires everybody to take the Sabbath off to rest from their labors. And the other one is the priests are called to conduct the temple rituals. Translated into our times, if a man is working at his backhoe operation seven days a week, he is profaning the Sabbath. And he's profaning the Sabbath when he's working on Sunday, simply. But if a minister preaches a sermon on Sunday, which is the very center of his earthly vocation, he still profanes the Sabbath, but he is guiltless. So um, I'm, I'm set apart as a minister. The, a minister is my vocation, my calling. That's what I do. And the very center of what I do as a minister is preaching on the Lord's Day. And preaching on the Lord's Day is really is work. You know, there, you know if we have two services, uh, so it's frequently the case that I drive us to church and we have two services and Nancy drives me home. So it's work. And it's work that profanes. It, it profanes the Lord's Day. But it profanes the Lord's Day in a way that doesn't accrue any kind of guilt. Okay, so it's profanation that isn't really profanation, or it's profanation that doesn't result in a profaned thing. The second instance was simply an instance of false accusation. The word refers to a sin, but in this instance, it's a sin that Paul hadn't actually committed. His accusers said this. This is from Acts 24, verse 6. Who also hath gone about to profane the temple, whom we took, and would have judged according to our law. So they're just, basically, uh, they're, lying, uh, they're lying about him. Had it been a true accusation, Paul would have been guilty of some sort of sacrilege. If Paul really had profaned the temple, he would have been guilty, but the people who were guilty were the people who were lying about him. So it would have been sacrilege, but it wasn't, and he wasn't guilty of it. Continuing on with podcast episode 163, uh, the book I'd like to review uh, this time around is a book recommended to me by a friend called The Accidental Superpower, written by a gent named Zehan, Z-E-I-H-A-N, The Accidental Superpower. Now, this is not talking about Marvel Comics. This is not talking about superheroes. This is talking about superpowers as in geopolitics. Countries that are very powerful, countries that are countries that have a lot of influence, sway, authority, power, and so on. Uh, and the accidental superpower, the, this book is largely about the United States, and yet it's also about the rest of the world. The author is not entirely uh, what you might call a geographical determinist, but he, he leans that way. In other words, he wants to argue that in many respects, not in absolutely every respect, but in many respects, geography is destiny. Uh, geography is destiny. And he's basically arguing that when settlers found North America and spread across North America, uh, settling it, subduing it, so forth, they hit the geographical jackpot. What, do, what does he mean by that? Well, this is the kind of thing that he, he urges. There are many aspects to this, and it's a fascinating book. He talks about all the material advantages that we have here in, in the United States and how it compares to the rest of the world. 
And he does this on numerous levels, many different uh, levels. And then he talks about uh, military history and politics and political decisions and how they affect all of these things. But at the center of everything is the geographical blessing that God has given us. As, as the song says, um, God shed his grace on thee. What would be an example of this? Well, one of the most ex- expensive aspects of trade is transportation, getting the thing you manufactured from here to there or getting the thing you grew from here to there. If you're a farmer who's figured out how to grow more than he can eat, then you want to take the surplus and sell it. And in order to sell it, you have to get it to where people want to buy it. And if there are costs entailed in getting it there, that raises the price of the product you're selling, right? So uh, roads and rail are very expensive means of travel. They're very expensive means of transporting oil, grain, you know, widgets, you name it. And that means that when the truck arrives or the train arrives at the destination, at the destination point, then all the, um, all the additional costs of transporting it there have to be added to the cost of the item, which is going to affect sales and whatnot. A far cheaper way of transporting your goods is by water. In the United States, Zehan points out that we have something like 17,000 miles of navigable rivers. 17,000 miles of navigable rivers. And this is more than the rest of the world, the rest of the world put together. So as we hit the river jackpot. And not only so, but the bulk of these are the, the central river system, uh, the Mississippi and the Missouri and the Ohio and that whole system were layered on top of the Midwest, which is our great heartland, farmland, grain growing, corn growing area. And what this means, and Zeon points out, I think it's something like this, that pretty much any farmer in North America is no more than 150 miles away from a place where he can get his grain onto water. I've got a good example. He didn't use this in the book, but here's a good example. I live in the panhandle of Idaho. We're in the inland northwest. We're in the Pacific northwest. But a farmer here can grow his peas or his lentils or his, or his wheat. And Lewiston, Idaho is a 30-minute drive south of us. So we're up on a big, uh, not a plateau, but, well, we're 2,000 feet higher than Lewiston is. So you drive south, and then you, go, you drop 2,000 feet down to Lewiston. And uh, Lewiston and Clarkston are right at the confluence of the Snake River and the, and the Clearwater River. And a farmer in Idaho can grow his grain, truck it half an hour, a half hour, 40 minutes, to Lewiston, load it on a ship, and send it to China. Because these rivers empty, they, they go out to the... Um, uh, they meet up with the Columbia and then out to the Pacific and then anywhere in the, anywhere in the world. So basically, th- what I'm telling you is that Lewiston is a seaport. And it's a seaport because America is river rich. Not only so, but you have off the east coast of the United States, you have barrier islands, which for most of the time may mean the, the water inside of the, uh, the barrier islands is essentially a very wide river. Now, what this means is that Zehan argues that Americans would have had to work very, very hard to avoid 
being rich. And now, I would argue that we're currently working on working that hard. We're, we're, we're working on throwing it all away. But one of, the, one of the things that's quite striking about this book is how many other countries are challenged by things that we don't have challenges with at all. We're basically a continent-wide island. Uh, there's no threat from Canada for various wilderness reasons and population and similar customs and mores and, and for v- numerous reasons, uh, no uh, military threat from Mexico. And then we've got the um, Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific Ocean on either side. And the United States naturally became a great maritime power. And Zehan goes into how Americans have responded to this and how other countries, including countries that we thought were going to give us a run for our money, countries like China, how much steeper of an uphill climb they have. Now, this doesn't give us an excuse to be lazy or to lay back and say, oh, we're, we're going to be okay then. Because if we are lazy, if, if American Christians are lazy, and uh, the bad guys, and by the bad guys, I mean the leftists, the socialists, the aggrandizers, the, the greedy, uh, seize control of our political system, we still have all those advantages. And that means the United States would be, as far as the rest of the world is concerned, no picnic at all. So I really enjoyed this book, The Accidental Superpower by Zehan. And I've, I was just talking about rivers and shipping food, but there are many other things that he talks about, mountains and battles and deserts and uh, shale deposits. And yeah, you know, if, if you are an economics geek, uh, you will have a fantastic time with this book. Mm-hmm. 